0: John chapter 17. So tonight, our goal is to consider what does it mean, or what does it look like to pray for one another. So this summer, Blake, Sarah, and myself, we are going over different passages, and a little bit more topically, considering what does it look like to live life with one another. What does it look like for you as a high school student to actually have a Christian relationship with someone in this room, or another Christian for that matter? And as I continue to think about the community that we have as Christians, um, it was maybe a number of weeks ago during the 4th of July weekend, um, thinking about America and making America great again, and this nationalism in all of us, that, that really, when I, when I began thinking about as Christians, something I, I read that really struck me is that as Christians, we have more in common with an Iraqi believer than with a non-believing American. So we, ha- we have more in common with someone who speaks a different language, who dresses differently than us, who eats different food, who has a completely different way of life, who looks nothing like us, we have more in common with that person who believes in Jesus than our next-door neighbor. And I think if we don't remember that, that, that with the people in our youth group, the people in our church, the people who, who say that I am putting my faith, my life, my hope, my identity in Jesus Christ, that I have more in common with that person than any of my friends at school, and maybe even my own Kin, my own blood, my own family or parents—we will never really consider what does life look like with one another. Here is the sad truth and reality of every single human. You ready for it? That every single one of us is bent on ourselves, and I think it only takes a little. You're, you listen, a little bit of self-awareness to realize that what I'm saying is true. That almost everything we do, we, we spin it through the lens of whether or not this is good for me. And so the very first one another we had to consider was loving one another. And, and what is the definition of love? It is the heart and the attitude to consider the welfare of others above ourselves. Like, I don't think we realize the weight of the definition of love because we don't realize really the depravity of our own selfishness. I mean, if you want to boil down sin, say it like this. Loving yourself too much. Selfishness. Like a lot, I mean, I remember one time for uh, Good Friday service, I've used the illustration before, but we had like the big chalkboards up in the Good Friday service, And we are going to, it's like a confessional board. And you go up and you write down your sins. And I just remember seeing pride, 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 pride. And I just want to go to all these people. No, duh. Of course you're prideful. All sin is All Everything that we do that is contrary to God's word is really saying, I care more about myself than what God's word says. Every sin is pride. Now, don't get me wrong. I think sometimes pride can manifest itself a little bit more. But even being falsely humble is pride. So in one sense, I, I think the issue that we have when we consider one another is just like, oh, it's kind of unique. It's kind of cool. Like, yeah, like, I like Sarah's message. She did really good for her first time. And man, look at her teach. I, I like the way she gave illustrations. That was really cool. Yeah, I'm going to try to encourage one another. And, like what Blake talked about, hey, we need to forgive others because we've been forgiven much more. And you, you kind of think in yourself, like, I'm, I'm typically a pretty forgiving, forgiving person. I don't like to think that I hold grudges. Like, if someone comes to me and, and, and legitimately 100% is sincere in their apology, I'm going to forgive them. But how often does that happen? Or when someone wrongs you, the next day they come up to you, hey man. I just thought about this comment that said in front of those people about you, and I don't know, maybe it made you feel a little awkward or insecure. And I just want you to know, from the bottom of my heart, I am so sorry that I said that small little comment that might have offended you or might have not have offended you. Does that happen a lot to you? Because that doesn't really happen to me. <laughs> and so the, the point I'm making is like, we, we might think it's easy to forgive one another, but really, I think all of us are pretty instinctual at holding grudges, at retaliating at putting up walls with certain people because something they did to us in the past made us skeptical of them. So tonight, I I guess the pressure is on a little bit more. Because when we consider about praying for one another, I think there is no other, excuse me, no better example of highlighting our lack of love for one another Something very sad in Christian culture is the reality is that for most of us, when we say we will pray for you, I'll pray for you, I'll pray for someone, really kind of what we mean by that is warm feelings, good sentiments your way. You need an example? I'll give you an example. I'm reading your minds, right? Um, We're in small groups during the year, okay? And, okay, are there any prayer requests? Sure, someone says, hey, um, my grandma, her health is not doing so well, and it's just a really hard time for my family right now. Okay, I'll write that down. Hey, like, I'm just having a really hard time at work. My boss is kind of a jerk sometimes. and Okay, put that down. Um, I'm just not really doing good in my chemistry class. It's just really hard, and I try and I try and try, and I can't get the subject. And what do we say? Okay, I'll pray for you. And more or less, maybe we pray together. For that you know we kind of lightly throw up, hey God, help Tyler Gibbs, he's not here to make fun of him right now. Um, in his chemistry homework, he really needs the help. Um, so God, we're just gonna we're just lifting him up, God. Holy hands on on Tyler Gibbs. Right? But like let me ask you a question. Like, how many of us take those prayer requests that we hear? With us through the week, I—I—I I, I will be the first to admit I, I'm guilty of this, and I apologize if I've ever done to you. But I should probably have. Someone's telling me some sad story, like, "Hey man, I'll definitely be praying for you guys." That's—that's that's tough to never pray for them about it. You, you see what I'm saying? It, it becomes more of a—a—a a, a phrase or an expression of like, mm, "I kind of care for you and room for you, but I really don't love you enough to talk to the King of all Kings, who's sovereign over the whole universe, about this issue." Right? Praying for one another it has become an ism that really holds no weight. And what I want to just tonight talk about is really just three basic things. of One, why as Christians we need to do this? Two, a little bit of help of, of like, how can we do this better? And three, a kind of because of this we pray for one another. And so, I want to begin by just giving a great example of someone who prayed for others. Look at John chapter 17, starting in verse 20. Jesus is praying. He had just got done praying for his 12 disciples who would fallen him around the last three years of his earthly ministries. So, verse 20, he makes a switch. John 17, verse 20. I do not ask for these only referring to my 12 disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. So what did Jesus just do there? He's saying, God, I'm switching from talking about my present disciples, and now I'm praying for anyone who comes to be a disciple from hearing their word. So do you know who he's praying for? Us. He's praying for every future disciple of his. Now what does he say? By the way, that verse, I, I I have to pause. I wasn't gonna pause, but I have to. I told myself not to pause. But when I read that verse, I can't get over the insane thing that Jesus Jesus just said. The Godhead from all of eternity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit have a perfect loving relationship. Okay, a perfect loving, it's almost like it's it's been expressed as a dance where the Father is bowing down to the Son, and the Son to the Spirit, and the Spirit to the Father. And they dance around. And do you know what Jesus just said right there? Verse 23 I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. What Jesus is saying there is that the God loving, God type love is the same way that he loves us. Verse 24. I just, I, I, don't know what to say to that. That's just insane. Verse 24. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O oh, righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I have made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me Maybe in them and I in them. So that's a pretty lengthy little thing. But what was so neat about this passage that I come to a lot, and I remember the first time I was reading the Gospel of John, I, I just like, get out of here. Jesus actually prayed for me. And did you, did you notice that he didn't pray for my chemistry final? He didn't pray a very non-specific, fluffy type of prayer. What was he praying about? He's praying about unity that we would come to understand his love, that we would come to understand that that when we actually live in a community together, the world would see how we live and that they would choose to believe in Jesus because of how we live life together. What a prayer. That Jesus desired for his disciples to be so entwined as one, just as him and the Father were one, in order that when other people who didn't know Jesus would look at his disciples and say, this Jesus must be right. That is is not a type of prayer that I hear a lot. That type of intentionality in our prayers and so the first point I want to make tonight is that as Christians, listen, as Christians, we have a responsibility to pray for one another. You a know, responsibility to pray for one another. Now just, just track with me for a second here, okay, just track. How many of us, when praying for, I'm, I'm assuming that most of us at one point in our life have had the opportunity to pray for someone else. But how many of you? Maybe your prayer. You're thinking about this person. Maybe they just told you something hard, or maybe they just pop up in your head in the middle of a song, and you kind of say, "Hey, hey, God, hey, big guy upstairs. Um, I'm just asking for a friend. I just, I just pray, Lord, that you would just let them, let just let them have a good day. Right? Just, yeah, they're just having a rough time. Would you just let them have a good day? Or even more vague, maybe we would say, "God, I, I just pray that you help this person." The prayers of, "Hey God, all those missionaries doing really cool stuff over there, Would you kind of just keep them safe and help them to do really cool things?" Like here's the danger. One, I don't want to attack like the nice intentionality that we have of praying for others. But can't we all agree that sometimes we are a little dissatisfied with the type of prayers that we have for other people? Isn't it kind of hard to pray for people in meaningful ways that, that you feel like this actually is more than just this general kind of like, hey God, I'm just trying to like send a PS note to that person, good vibes their way, good feelings. Right? Like, if we, are, if we really have a, a correct understanding, a right theology of God, sovereign Lord of the universe, who maintains everything that He's created, seen and unseen, by the power of his word, if, if that is the God we are approaching so boldly to, to be asking for a friend, did, don't you think that we should be a little bit more specific, a little bit more intentional of how I lift up the requests? James five seventeen gives the command that we should pray for one another. Now, what's interesting about that passage in James five, by the way, one of the most confusing passages out there, I think, is that it comes in the context where he says that we should pray for another of someone who needs to be healed of a physical ailment. It's a passage of praying for people in order that they may have faith to get over their sickness. But here's the thing, all throughout the New Testament, there is example after example of example of Paul and other people in the New Testament asking their readers to pray for them. In 1 Thessalonians 5.25, Paul just plainly and boldly says, Brothers, pray for us. Pray for us in the ministry. In the, in the next book he wrote to them, in Second Thessalonians 3, he says, Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you. Colossians chapter 4, he tells the readers in Colossae, Pray that God would open up doors for me to share the gospel. It is a, a Christian responsibility To not just look at the people in this room and kind of say, hey, this person I can kind of talk to, that person, yeah, they're kind of cool on some days. Not just to maybe like kind of know them, but to actually lift them up in prayer. Jesus, the night when he was betrayed, while in the Garden of Gethsemane, asked Peter, James, and John to pray for him that his soul may not be troubled. Guys listen. If we're talking about Peter and Paul and even Jesus himself who asked for prayers, hey, these are like the three best Christians that have ever lived. Asking their brothers and sisters in Christ to pray for them, how much more is their responsibility on us to pray for people, to pray for people in this room, to pray for them by name, to pray specifically and intentionally. One of the key marks of the early church in Acts chapter two is that they, they devoted themselves to the prayers. And I, I can't I can't imagine that these corporate prayers that the early church had wouldn't have included. Praying for each other, praying for the widows, praying for the the speaking ministry of Peter and the rest of the apostles. I remember when, um, so I don't know if this has happened to your family yet. Yeah, some of you has it happened, but when you um, are in a family and you're all still living in the house, and maybe you have siblings, the second that that one person leaves, like the oldest sibling. From then on out, like the house just the dynamics change it's just a big deal, right like your parents done the hard work of raising kids now the first one is like leaving or they, they graduate high school like, like things are different forever and I remember that my junior year of high school, my older brother graduated high school and then six days later left for the Navy and um like it was a very emotional time for my family because we knew, like, it'll never be the same. It'll never be the same. And uh, we had this whole long thing. We went to breakfast. Our youth pastor came and prayed, and we kind of kind of spent time together. And then when the guy came to pick him up, we're all crying, and it was really sad. And then he left, and, and things really haven't been the same. But I remember when, when he left, by the way, when I left, it like, like, the, the big... Thing had already happened, and so the next kid leaves. is like, oh, okay, see you later, dude. (laughs) Seriously, like, there wasn't tears. It's just Aaron. (laughs) But I remember my brother uh, writing back some letters while in his boot camp, and wasn't just like, I think, typical, like, homesick, missed his girlfriend, and all this stuff. And I stumbled upon this verse that really like, stuck with me. 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 23. Far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. When I read that verse, my, my eyes popped out. Do you know what Samuel is saying there? He's saying goodbye to the, to the people of Israel who he's just been a prophet to. He says, far be it from me that if I cease to pray for you, that I am sinning against the Lord. Have you ever considered a sin on your own behalf to not lift up the request and the spiritual growth and maturity of those around you? I mean, talk about the weight of that. I mean, most of us say, like, yeah, you know, I'm not the best at praying for another, and yeah, maybe sometimes my prayers for other people are a little shallow, but man, to say it's a sin... This got me on a whole other level there. All of this, here's what I'm trying to explain to you. If you are united to Christ through your faith in Him, then you have a responsibility to pray for other Christians. My question for you is this. When you are around other believers, do you feel responsibility? Do you feel a sense of weight for your brothers and sisters in Christ. You see, I, I think sometimes we believe things with our head, but functionally in our hearts, we don't really believe like it's true. Because here's what the Bible teaches over and over and over and over again that if we are united to Christ, through, if, I, if I'm united to Christ through my faith in Him, and Brian is united to Christ through his faith, do you know what that means? That we are all members together. That we are actually all one. Whether you go to church somewhere else or you go to church here, if you are a Christian, that's why I said we have more in common with an Iraqi Christian than an unbelieving American. We, we have this sense that we are all unified to Christ. Now would you look at your body, would you say like, I could care less what happens to my right hand, cut it off, I don't care, I'm not going to think about it, I'm not going to take care of it. Would you look at any part of your body and just say like, yeah, I don't need it, just get rid of it? It's a, it's a silly question. And, and, and the thing is, that when we talk about the Christian life, when we talk about one another, when we talk about community, here's the thing we have to remember, we are all members of one body. And, and functionally, the way we treat one another, we treat them as if, yeah, I don't really need you. You're not that important to me. So, therefore, I'm not going to take the time to get to know you in order to even pray for you. Like, right? Like, how can you pray for someone intentionally and specifically if you don't even know them? How can you love someone if you don't spend the time getting to have opportunities to love them when it's hard? Right? Like, love doesn't mean much when there isn't an opportunity to show love. Like, let me. Let me talked about forgiving one another. You'll never have to forgive someone of something if you don't ever hang out with them or talk with them. Does that make sense? You'll never, all these one another's that we're talking about mean nothing if you don't actually get to live life with them and rub shoulders and be honest and vulnerable and ask questions and show curiosity. Sorry, I'm preaching, but Got to move on. (laughs) The goal of this sermon series, to state it again, is for you to be persuaded that the Christian life is not about you. It's about us. So I hope that you feel the weight, the responsibility of praying for your brothers and sisters. So with that said, I just kind of raised a big issue and I didn't really solve it. What do I do when it seems like all of our prayers in small groups and by myself are these generic, pray for my cat, pray for my test tomorrow? How do we learn to engage a prayer life that is more intentional? And this is, this is a point, listen, this is a point that I think is often overlooked. Often overlooked. We need... To learn to pray the Bible. like Let me be be clear. It's a little tip too just about praying in general. If you struggle with prayer, the best thing you can do is learn to pray Scripture. Pray verses. Pray the Psalms. Pray the book of Ephesians for someone. So do me a favor. Turn to Ephesians chapter 1 really quick. I'll be quick. Talk too much. Um, Something that I um, really fell in love with in college was taking the prayers of Paul, and instead of using the people that he was praying for, inserting groups of people or specific names that I actually knew. And so one of my favorite ones is Ephesians chapter 1. And so Paul starts actually in verse 15, but I just want you to jot your eyes down to verse 18. So, so having the eyes of and then you would insert their hearts, right? Enlightened that you, inciting their name, right? May know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power? So I, I, would, I would look at this passage and I would say, Lord, I'm praying for my brother Alex. Lord, I pray that he would have the eyes of your heart enlightened, that, that he would know what is the hope to which he is called, that he would know, God, the riches of your glorious inheritance in the saints, that he would know what is the immeasurable greatness of your power toward us who believe. I, I, I would pray this over Alex. I, I, would, I would come to see Scripture as the best source of being specific for others in prayer. I mean, in, in one sense, why reinvent the wheel? Like I, I can pray for Alex Scott. I pray that his job at Interstate Batteries goes well. I think one time he said something about this manager sometimes. I don't know. Um, I know that he's doing SPS, so I just pray that he can pick his class schedule okay. Like, sure, right? Like I, I love Alex. I'm praying for him. I'm, I'm doing the hard work of, one, just even praying for him. But I, I think something... That is so overlooked. It's how scripture is already like the best example. So, if in the little handout that you have, I wrote down a number of Paul's prayers, if you just want to glance at them, that I think if you just would open up to one of those passages, pick one person and just learn to pray those. Ephesians 1, the one we just went over, Ephesians 3, Philippians 1, 9 through 11, Colossians 1 is one of my favorites. First and second Thessalonians, all of these prayers, I think specifically learning to pray to silver someone. And as I as I think about that, guys, as I think about learning to pray scripture. I think there isn't a better way to learn to actually to, to learn to make scripture like eternalizing it in our hearts. Like, so many times, like, I, I don't know if you guys struggle with your Bible reading. I'm assuming that I, I really have, don't meet many high schoolers to say, like, I read my Bible every day, and I never struggle with it, and I want to do it, and it's not hard, and I understand it because I know Greek, and, da, 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 you know, like, just still meet those kind of people. But here's what I'd say. If we can learn to slow down and, and to really reflect on these words and, and, and at times to pray over them, I think the passage begin to actually move in our hearts in different ways. Okay, last thing that I want to say. I've got to move past that point pretty quick. Is, sometimes we are still left with this problem of someone comes to me and says, Hey Aaron, I had this really hard situation um, my car broke down, I don't really have a lot of money, and I'm trying to make some plans, and it's just a huge disaster. <sighs> I'm just stuck in a hard spot here. Okay? How do we pray then in a way that, again, isn't just kind of, hey, Lord, help Blake. I just pray that you send your like spirit fingers into his car and fix it. And that it never needs a mechanic ever again. Like, I, I wish we could pray that. Like, again, like, listen. Like, we will forever, if we are part of a local church, get emails, or we're even going to make a prayer wall, and part of the wall is going to be prayer requests. Okay? And then how do we legitimately care about the prayer requests? And, and here's, here's what I think... We need to learn to pray for even for the things that might seem mundane or odd. Jesus, in John 14, 13, said this, Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Here's the point. Any request to pray for one another, at the very least, do you know what we can pray for? Father, I pray that you would be glorified through this situation. I pray that Blake, in this hard opportunity, this hard struggle and challenge, would learn to live a life that would glorify and honor you. You guys want to know something? Life is a life of struggle and hardship. I I would propose that if I spoke to to every single one of you, individually, that, that 98% of you would say, I have faith in Jesus. I believe in God. I believe that God loves me. Okay? Like we would say these things unashamedly, we'd say them quick, we'd say them fiercely, we'd say them passionately. But here's here's my my pushback. Functionally, do we live as if all of that is true? Like we, we sang that song. Um, you are for me. Your arms are open wide. You will never leave me. Like like we sing those words so well. Yet the second something bad happens and we have, we have an opportunity to live in faith and trust God and glorify Him through the hardship by saying, although this is hard and uneasy and uncomfortable, I'm going to hold on. I'm going to trust that God is for me, that He's going to use this for my benefit. What do we do? We step out of faith and we, we begin to grow worried. And we begin to develop anxiety. And we begin to feel panicked or depressed or overwhelmed by how hard it can be. And so when we are praying for others, we, maybe we are praying for solid ways for the problem to be resolved. But let me be very clear. When we are praying for other people, when we are praying for ourselves even... The best prayer that you can always pray is this. Now, Father, you would be glorified. Let me ask you, high schooler, let me ask you this question. Functionally in your life, in the day-to-day, in the moment-by-moment, do you live life in such a way that God's glory is the most important thing? You see, if we do not answer this question, everything that I have just said up to this point, which is approximately 33 minutes and 13 seconds, will just just be me telling you, pray for people. You have a responsibility. You need to pray the Bible over them. Just go pray more for people and do it better. Right. If we don't learn to understand that all of life exists to glorify God, to make Him big, to honor Him, all prayer will become is a religious exercise. Like uh, the next point in my notes, it simply says, the gospel dot, dot, dot. Because part of me, I had too many thoughts. And I, I wasn't like, at the time, Like I don't even know what to say. Like, there's so many things I could say right here. But let me be very clear. Most of us know the gospel story. That all of us are so sinful that, that God had no choice because of his holiness and his righteousness to, to cause us to eternal damnation. But because of his love, God, the maker of everything, the creator of the universe. he, He wrapped himself into humanity by taking on flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus lived the perfect, blameless, spotless, righteous life. He obeyed God in everything. He not once ever sinned. And because of his love for us, he went to the cross, he died a horrible death, and he rose back to life three days later with the power to forgive sins. He ascended into heaven where he now sits at God's right hand in which he is willing to stand as a mediator and as a substitute between us and God. So yeah, We know that story, but let me apply this a little bit more for us. That story is so insane because do you know what it's telling us? It is telling you that as a high schooler, listen, you are so sinful. Like, let me say it a different way. You are so bad that the only hope of you having any relationship with God again. And to not be excused to eternal damnation was God Himself had to come be a man. That's how bad you are. But at the very same time, that same message, do you know what it says? You are so incredibly loved and accepted and have value and have worth and have identity. See, the, the gospel is good news, but listen, 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 listen. It always confronts us too. It always gets us where we least expect it. It says, you really only care about yourself, which is demonstrated in your inability to love people, which really shows itself that when you pray for one another, you either, one, don't do it, or two, it's in a way that is not really helpful. But, but here is what's so wonderful about the gospel is that we give our lives to God. We get, the Bible says we become reborn. We become new creatures. God begins through his spirit in our life of making us more like Jesus. He makes us into a new human where we actually begin to think less of ourselves. We begin to see others. We begin to understand that I was made for a purpose to glorify my Heavenly Father. And I do this by by telling people about Jesus. And I live a life of good works and good deeds because when I do that, people can see the life that has changed in me. And so when when we talk about praying for one another. It's really on par and on line with what Sarah spoke last week, that, that we want to provoke love and good deeds in our brothers and sisters around us in order that they may live lives that are fruitful and effective for God's glory. I just said a lot of words. But, but here's what you need to understand. You will never develop the type of love for people that will demonstrate its life in in, in praying for them in meaningful and intentional ways if you don't first realize God's extreme love for you, that even Jesus himself would pray for you. Every single time you utter a word to God, do you know who stands in the middle? Jesus Christ himself, who is our high priest to God. You see, we don't pray for one another because it just makes us feel good. I, I pray for you guys. I, I, I sometimes I have a roster of all your names on. It. And we go name by name by name, and we pray grace. We pray conviction. We pray excitement about the gospel. We pray for your homes. We pray for your schools, in order that you may live a life that is effective for Jesus Christ. That you would live not for your glory. But for God's. if we do not realize that the chief end of man is God's glory, prayer just becomes another spiritual exercise that really doesn't do anything. And here's my last my last little tidbit. even with all of that said, even if you follow my every word, my every advice about praying scriptures, here's the thing listen. It is hard. It is hard to pray for others at times. And it's not that I don't want to, right? Like, I would never look at Brian Nepper in the eyes and say, I don't want to pray for you, Brian. <laughs> I, I would never say that because I don't mean it. But prayer is hard. But here's the thing that's why we call prayer a spiritual discipline. And here's the thing the more we do it, the more it becomes a habit in our lives, the more it becomes a desire. And so here's my encouragement to you that you would pick two or three people, just like pull them out of thin air in this room and say, this week, you know I'm going to, I'm going to commit to the discipline of praying for them every single day and I'm going to look at one of these passages and I'm going to pray their name through this passage. And, and, and our goal is not that we just have another religious checklist, but our goal is that we would come to see how our community, how we pray for one another, is an aspect in which, what Jesus prays for in John 17, the world may see their unity and know who he truly is. So guys, let us not fail on this task of praying for one another. This, listen, this matters today, this matters tomorrow morning. How you treat the people in this room is your biggest theology of who God is. Let's pray. Lord, we said a lot of things tonight, and Father, I ask that through all of the, the points and illustrations, that, that the one truth would remain that we love because you have first loved us. Jesus, we thank you for your example, that even before we were thought of, before we were even made or born, God, that, that you prayed for us. You, you desired that we would have unity. And Lord, I pray that we would develop hearts of love for the people in this room that would show itself by praying for one another. Lord, I, I ask that you would put faith in the hearts of these students, that they would not see prayer as a a chore, But they would not see prayer uh, simply as a a way to get things from you. But rather, Lord, prayer as a, a way of retraining our hearts to be dependent on you. A way to train our hearts to love others a way, God, for us to remember that life is not about us or our kingdom or our will, but, Father, it's about your glory. It is about what you have done. It is never about what we have done. And so, Lord, I I pray that you would help us to fight through being religious people. Help us to avoid just coming and and checking things off the list. But, Lord, I pray Um, this group would be a, a picture of the gospel that we would not live for any one person or ourselves but we would live to glorify and honor our loving and wonderful Savior Jesus Christ. And we pray all of this in his precious name. Amen.